0: In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you are not a member of the church, what are you missing? If you are not actually, formally, a member of the church, or if you would cease to be a member of the church, I want you to think about it this morning. What is it that you would be missing? I don't mean if you stopped attending a church, I mean if you were not actually a member of the church, what are you missing? started last week with a similar question, and the reason I like it is that it forces us to focus on the significance of what we actually have in church membership. It it forces us to really think about what is it that we have in membership. I bet for some of you, you might have an answer right away to that question, Uh, but for others, for most of us perhaps, that question would be a little bit more challenging to answer, especially if we add that little caveat like, what does the Bible say you are missing if you are not a member of the church? And that question is so helpful because right away, I think it causes us to deal with two really important things. One, what do you actually think about church membership? Like what do you actually think about church membership? And is it really in the Bible? So what do you think? What do you think of church membership? You know, I think for some people, they're like, yeah, whatever. The pastors told us to go through membership, so I did it. Just kind of go with the flow. My pastors want me to do it. That's fine. It's kind of like uh, when your manager at work tries to get you pumped up about some like corporate frou-frou, you're like, well, you know, whatever. <laughs> cool. For other people, when it comes to church membership, they're like, no, <laughs> nah. That's where I draw the line, okay? Because it's not in the Bible, and you're not going to force me to jump through some sort of man made hoop. But this is my hope, okay? This is my genuine hope today. Whether you are actually a member of the church or not yet a member of the church, I'm talking to you. And my hope is that all of us would be convinced of the glorious, essential biblical doctrine of church membership, that we would see how God has actually called us beautifully and gloriously and wonderfully into a bound-together family of believers to follow Christ alongside one another through church membership. Okay, And through that, my hope is that your experience in church membership would be radically changed and even that the culture of our church would be radically changed. Now, am I crazy to believe that God can radically change the culture of our church through His preached Word? Maybe. (laughs) But I hope not. Okay? And here's the deal. I want us to be moved by the beauty of church membership, to see that beautiful, glorious doctrine of church membership. But if we're going to be moved by the beauty of church membership, then I think what's going to need to happen is this. I think we actually, as a church, need a paradigm shift. We need a paradigm shift. And I'm going to explain what that paradigm shift is. But first, uh, let me just call a quick time out here. Quick 30-second timeout. So last week, we talked about communion. And hopefully most of you are here for that. Uh, We talked about how communion, it's like this glorious, wonderful family meal where God, He is knitting us together and nourishing us, grounding us in the gospel through that practice of communion. So through the family meal, we're being knit together as the family of God. It's a beautiful, essential, biblical doctrine for believers. But I know for some of you, um, the way you experienced last week, what you walked out of here with was like, I didn't hear that. Uh, Actually, all I heard was, if you're not baptized, you can't take communion. Okay? Or I know for, for others, you might have walked away feeling like your world just got rocked a little bit. It was kind of like, whoa, that was heavy. Where did that come from? Or, for many others, you you walked away thinking, "I have way more questions about baptism and communion than I ever realized." Like I think if I would have pulled the church a couple weeks ago and said, "You got any questions about baptism and communion?" Most people would have been like, "No, (laughs) that's easy." And then we realized, like, "Wait a minute! I actually do have a lot of questions here." about baptism and communion. And for what it's worth, just so you know, that's so good for us. I love that. As a church, it is really good for us at times to just wrestle through some things and to ask those questions and to realize where we have questions that we didn't even know we had. It might even be helpful to go back to the last couple weeks of messages and listen through them again in order to help, I think, answer some of those questions, but also even just to solidify some of the genuine questions that you have in your mind around baptism and communion. But I think what it also exposed is this. As we talked through baptism and communion over the last couple of weeks, what I think it exposed is this. There was something that we talked about last week that I think is in conflict with a paradigm that many of us, myself included, have at least at some point held pretty strongly in the church. Okay, I think there was something we talked about last week that's in conflict with the paradigm that many of us, including myself, have held at least at some point walking in the church. And that paradigm in me, I would call it the paradigm of the personal. Okay, and it goes a little bit of something like this. As it relates to how I think about conversion, baptism, baptism, Communion and membership, that paradigm historically in me has gone a little something like this. The paradigm of the personal. I came to know Christ personally when I decided to follow Jesus, when I put my faith in Christ. That's conversion. Then I got baptized when I was ready to publicly declare my personal commitment to follow Him. I take communion in order to fellowship with Jesus as we reflect on the cross. And I may or may not be a covenant member of the church. I don't actually remember. I'm not quite sure. I'd have to have one of our pastors tell me because it depends on how willing I was to drink the Kool-Aid or go along with that thing that they randomly got jazzed about like five years ago. Okay. And on top of it all, I'm not really sure how all of those things actually play together with each other. And I'm not saying that's everybody's paradigm, but that sure was mine. Okay. The paradigm of the personal. And that strongly personal lens, that strongly personal paradigm when it comes to relationship with Christ, it's actually helpful in a number of ways. And I think we will see that together today. But when we try to understand baptism and communion and church membership through that strongly personal paradigm, it alters their meaning in the church. And not only that, it's going to feel quite wrong and jarring when somebody, when it feels like someone is trying to impose from the outside some sort of restriction on my own personal choices in these areas of baptism communion membership. Okay, something like having people get baptized before they take communion just rubs me the wrong way. And so too does making a big fuss about church membership. But here's what i become convinced of. I think God's word presents a totally different paradigm, a more helpful and biblical paradigm around conversion, baptism, communion, and membership. And I'll call it the paradigm of the family. Paradigm of the family. I think that paradigm, it helps us to see the glorious doctrines together and to practice them like we ought, to treasure them and practice them like we ought. Here's the paradigm of the family. Through Christ, God has brought us into the family of God. So not only a personal relationship with Him, certainly it is that, but it's even more than that. It's even more glorious than that. It's even better than that. God, He has saved us and called us into His family. Adopted into His family as His children with a new spirit, a new heart, but not just that. Even a new, glorious, spiritual, eternal family by God's grace through faith in Christ. Okay, but the work of conversion to bring us into his family, that is invisible. God invisibly brings us into his family through conversion, but the family of God is not designed to be invisible. And so what God did is he brought us visibly into his family through baptism. We were marked as members of the family by our family members through baptism. And then once we are actually visibly placed into the family of God, the family knows that we are in the family. What we do is that God, he grounds us and nourishes us and knits us together as a family through communion. The family meal of God, where the family of God comes together at his table. And we are knit together as a family in the gospel through communion. And then what we're going to see today is this. We are a family not just bound together by our practices and not just bound together because of the fact that we happen to physically occupy the same space at the same time. But we are actually bound together gloriously and graciously by God as a family through church membership. His practice of church membership. That is the paradigm of God's word, the paradigm of family, okay? That beautiful, wonderful family of God. And it helps us to see the interconnected doctrines of conversion, baptism, communion, and church membership. And that's what I want to help us to see today in the word of God as we specifically look at church membership. And I'm going to do it by answering three questions, okay? Number one, what is biblical church membership? Number two, how should church membership be administered? And number three, who should be a member? What is biblical church membership? How should church membership be administered? Who should be a member? You know, one last thing before we dive in and talk about church membership. Can you already tell? This is going to be a heavy lift today, okay? So I'm just asking you, engage with me as hungry learners as we get into the Word of God. Engage with me around the Word of God as hungry learners. What I mean is this. Don't first evaluate, do I agree, do I disagree? First, come as hungry learners and engage around the Word of God together. Okay, and I think through that, God's going to change our church. God is going to change the culture of our church as he changes us. So here we go. What is biblical church membership? Now, I don't think it takes a pastor to tell you. Uh, as soon as you say biblical church membership, there's like a little elephant that walks into the room. <laughs> and that little elephant is this is church membership anywhere in the Bible? Is church membership like actually in the Bible? That's just a man-made thing, isn't it? Well, that depends. It depends what you actually think church membership is. It depends what you mean when you say church membership. And I think the reason most people don't see church membership in the Bible is that they're looking for the wrong thing. They're working with the wrong definition, Okay, they're looking for a Costco membership. They're looking for $5 rotisserie chickens. They're looking for membership dues. They're looking for a card, like a special card that gives you special access. But that is not at all the essence of biblical church membership. Instead, here's what biblical church membership is. Another way to think about it is this is what you need to look for in the Bible if you want to see biblical church membership. Biblical church membership at its core is God's people coming under the authority of Jesus by coming together with specific believers under specific elders in a specific local church. If you want to see biblical church membership at work in the Bible, this is what you need to look for see God's people following Him, coming under His authority by coming together with specific people under specific elders in a specific local church. Or another way to think about it is this. If you want to see church membership in the Bible, just look for a family of believers meaningfully bound together in the gospel where they have real authority and real responsibilities to one another in a specific local church. This is what we're talking about when we talk about church membership. And we're going to build that understanding through the word of God. So first, we said that church membership, first and foremost, is God's people coming under Jesus's authority. And that's a huge deal. All believers ultimately are under the authority of Jesus personally. That's why the personal paradigm is actually so helpful. Because it is true that when we come to Christ, we come personally, individually to Christ and are accountable ultimately personally to Him. And under His authority. But I want you to notice something in the Great Commission. Okay, we're going to go to Matthew 28. I want to point something out in the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus came to his disciples. He's about to ascend back to heaven. He's teaching them, and he says this, all authority, he points to his authority. He says, I'm like the ultimate big dog. Okay, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All of it. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. He says, teach my followers to come under my authority, under Jesus's authority. He says, you are to teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded them. So we come personally under the authority of Jesus. But we are not just left as individuals to come under that authority in isolation. Instead, what does he say right away, right off the bat? Baptize them. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And what is baptism? Baptism is visibly marking you into the family of God. So right out of the gates, Jesus says, the way that my followers are actually going to come under my authority is not alone in isolation It is in the family of God. And not just in the invisible, universal sense. He says, no, in the visible, tangible, real family of God. They are to be baptized, to be brought visibly into the family of Christ in order to follow him with Jesus as the head of the family. But a question to consider is this. Has Jesus given anyone on earth stewardship of his heavenly authority in the family of God. So if you're a believer, you have been brought into the family of God to follow Jesus as the head of the family. But is there anyone on earth who administers the authority of Jesus on earth in the family of God? And the answer to that is yes. Yes, for our good and for God's glory, he has wonderfully called us into earthly families in the local church. And I want us to see it together in the Word. And what we're going to see is this, okay? The way that God's people come under the authority of Jesus, visibly, tangibly, practically on earth, is by coming together with specific believers under specific elders in a specific local church where Jesus' loving lordship is stewarded, is stewarded and where we share together in the beautiful responsibilities that God has called us into in the family of God, okay? And this is, I think, the concept that needs to be solidified in our minds. If this is going to click, if we're going to understand biblical church membership, here is the concept that needs to be solidified. Biblical church membership, it exists in the very fact, in the very reality that God has actually placed us, with real responsibilities to specific people under real authority of specific elders in a specific local church. It's the way that God has beautifully designed for his family to be bound together in the gospel and to walk under his loving lordship. If you want to see church membership in the Bible, look for a family of believers bound together In the gospel with real authority and real responsibilities to one another in the church. And we're going to build that out by looking at three biblical truths. Truth number one. Truth number one. God has given specific leaders authority over specific members of the family. God has given specific leaders real authority but limited authority limited to specific believers in a specific church. Look at me at 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5 verse 1, Peter is talking to pastors. He's talking to elders, okay? And he says, I exhort the elders among you or the pastors among you as a fellow elder. So he says, hey, pastors, I'm a pastor. I want to talk to you pastors, and as a fellow witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed, shepherd, that's where we get the word pastor from. It means pastor or shepherd, God's flock among you. Not overseeing or administering authority or oversight out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not out of greed for money, but eagerly. And not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now, one question to think about is this. Do pastors have any real authority and real responsibility to people from Jesus? In other words, are pastors accountable to Jesus with any sort of real authority and real responsibility to other people. And I would say very clearly, yes. Yes, they are. We'll see it in Hebrews as well. But even in what Peter says, he says, look, you need to shepherd God's flock who is among you. And you need to do it exactly as God would have you because you are accountable ultimately to God himself. For how you exercise the authority and responsibilities that he has given you as a pastor. But who do they have responsibilities or authority to? Is it to every Christian? Who are pastors ultimately accountable to Jesus for? Is it every Christian? Do they have authority over every Christian in the world? No, that would be terrifying. Do you see how crazy that would be? See, but God in his grace, he has limited his earthly shepherds in the authority and responsibility that they have. It is only towards those who have been entrusted to them. Elders have real authority from Jesus over real, specific people. And they owe real responsibilities to real, specific people. But it is not to everyone. Instead, it is only to those who have been entrusted to them. Now, a question I'm going to have you stick in your back pocket is this. How do elders know who has been entrusted to them? How does God entrust specific people to elders and how do elders know who has been entrusted to them is it for example anyone who has ever attended walnut creek church is that who it is is it anyone who ever has come to the church and feels like yeah you're my pastor is it anyone who has hit like a certain number of attendances? Like there's an attendance mark that once hit, it equals entrusted to? Is it anybody who gets the Walnut Creek logo tattooed on their lower back? Yes, it is. That one counts. Okay, now we're not going to answer that question right now. Tuck it in your back pocket. <laughs> okay? But here's what we need to notice in the word of God. God has given specific leaders authority and responsibilities towards specific members of his family. Truth number two, the members of God's family are submitted to specific leaders. One of the scariest verses in the Bible, it's in Hebrews 13 verse 17. And I bet most of you know what it says because it's one of those verses that's scary enough that we're like, I remember that one. (laughs) I remember that. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, okay, right out of the gates in our culture, who's like, yes, that's so good and healthy. (laughs) Anybody? No, okay. But notice what he says in the Word of God. See, in, in, in the paradigm of God's Word, that is a beautiful, glorious grace from God. Because notice he says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them since... They keep watch over your souls. And I'm like, I want someone watching over my soul. That's a grace from God. And they do it as those who will actually stand accountable to Jesus. And he says, you should obey them and submit to them so that they can watch over your soul with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you notice again, though, the instruction, it is not to submit to everyone. That would be terrifying. It's not to submit to anyone who's ever called themselves a pastor. That would be doubly terrifying. It is to submit instead, graciously and humbly, to your leaders, who God has given to you as a grace to keep watch over your souls. And they do that, as those who are ultimately accountable to King Jesus. Specific members of God's family are to submit to specific leaders. According to Hebrews 13, in fact, the way that you come under Jesus' loving lordship is actually through by coming under the loving lordship of your leaders, or the loving leadership of your leaders, And your leaders are accountable before God for how they lead. There are specific believers who come under specific leaders with real accountability, authority, and responsibilities before Christ. Now again, I'm going to ask you to tuck a little question into your back pocket. Back pocket's starting to get a little full here. But here it is. How do you know who your leaders are? How do you know who God has asked you to submit to and to follow? And which elders are accountable before God to lead you? We're not going to answer it now. Keep it in the back pocket. Just remember, the members of God's family are submitted to specific leaders. Truth number three, the members of God's family owe particular Responsibilities to specific members of the family. Okay? As members of God's family, it is true that we owe some responsibilities to everyone universally. But there are particular responsibilities that you only owe to specific people. To specific believers in the family of God. Okay, here's the passage I want to point you to. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. This is Jesus teaching. He's teaching us about sin in the church. And this is what he says. If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. He's clarifying who you owe that responsibility to. It goes one step further, but if he won't listen, take one or two others with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. Again, he's clarifying who you owe this responsibility to and among. Verse 17, he goes a step further still. He says, if he doesn't pay attention even to them, tell the church. And if he doesn't pay attention even to the church, then let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. He is saying, remove them from the church. Exclude them from the church. Treat them as one who is not part of the family of God. That's what he's saying. Treat them as a tax collector or a Gentile. Remove them from the church. Treat them as one who is not a part of the family of God. And what Jesus is teaching here, he's teaching us that when we came into the family of God, it came with a specific responsibility to help protect the family name, to help protect family members from continuing to walk in sin. And it came with a specific responsibility to help protect the true family of God from false family members by removing them from the church. That's what church discipline is. It's removing those who demonstrate they are not members of the family by continually walking in unrepentant sin. Okay, but who do you owe that special responsibility to, to protect through church discipline? Is it every Christian everywhere? Is it everyone in every church in all of the world? Is it everyone in the invisible universal church of God? No, not in the sense that Jesus is talking about here. Okay, it is only for those specific believers under specific elders in your specific local church. Church, Jesus says, look, if your brother sins against you, point out a sin. If he won't repent, bring a couple others along who can lovingly correct him and point him back to Christ. And if he still won't repent, tell the church. Which church? Your church. The actual specific church that you are a member of. Jesus is not talking about the invisible universal church of God. If he was, that would be an absolutely impossible command for anyone to obey ever. He is talking about your actual real life specific church. As a member of the family, we have this beautiful specific responsibility to help protect each other from sin and from tarnishing the family name and from walking in unrepentant sin— Through church discipline in your actual specific local church. And if you're going to understand that church membership really is in the Bible, the thing that has to click is that biblical church membership, it exists through the very fact that God has actually called you into real responsibilities with specific people. Under real authority of specific elders in a real specific local church. That is the way that we get to beautifully, gloriously be bound together in the gospel and walk as the family of God. And that is the essence of biblical church membership. But who is your church? So we've got to pull the questions back out of our back pocket here. Who is your church? Who are the specific people you owe that responsibility to? As pastors, who are we specifically accountable to exercise Jesus' authority in the lives of? As members, who are you accountable to as a pastor to follow? Or as a fellow member to guard and protect? through the practices of the church and things like church discipline. Who is it? And you see, the answer to that question is incredibly important. Because if any of this stuff is going to become real and tangible and put into practice, If any of this responsibility stuff, this family of God stuff, which is so wonderful, if it's going to be put into practice, then it demands an answer to that very question who? And that's exactly what the second question in our outline strikes at. How should church membership be administered? You have to have a clearly defined church with a clearly defined jurisdiction with clearly defined relationships between specific people and specific elders in a specific church. And how you put it into practice, how you define those relationships, this is what's so helpful to understand. You do it by using the tools that best accomplish the goal. You use the tools by God's grace, in wisdom, that best accomplish the goal. And the goal is that sweet, wonderful, bound-together family of believers knit together in the gospel, walking together as members of one another. Okay? And the way that church membership should be administered is by using the tools or the means to actually help us to accomplish God's purpose of biblical church membership. That's what the tools are for, okay? And the tools are not the essence. They're the tools. But what are the tools that we use in our church to define those relationships and walk in church membership together? Well, we use things like a member interview, a membership covenant, a membership class. These are the tools that we use in our church to help define those relationships and then walk together in that beautiful, bound together family of God. Now, I think a lot of times people confuse the tools with the essence. And that's why they say church membership isn't in the Bible, because not all of those tools are in the Bible. Okay, but remember, the tools are not the essence. And so the question we need to ask is not, is church membership in the Bible? It absolutely is. But the better question is this. Is there a biblically regulated set of tools that we ought to be using to administer church membership? And the answer to that is no. The Bible doesn't regulate the specific tools that you use to administer church membership membership, okay, to define those relationships between specific believers in specific churches. But we do catch, it doesn't mean that there's no biblical process or tools. We do catch some glimpses of the process that they used to administer church membership in the scriptures. So I want you to look at Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, Peter, he preaches the gospel at Pentecost, and a whole bunch of people get saved. It is so awesome and glorious and wonderful. And then look at this. Notice the process that they used to bring people into membership in the church. Okay, verse 41. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them, to the church. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Okay, do you see what this is? This is specific believers, new believers, specific believers. They are being brought into a clearly defined relationship with specific, under the authority of specific apostles, bound together with specific believers in an actual specific local church. And it happens through a process. Notice their process, okay? It started with some way of verifying that they actually understood and accepted the message of the gospel. Now, was it like a formal interview that took place? We don't know. But, but they didn't just baptize anybody. Notice that. They did not baptize everybody. They only baptized people who had actually understood and accepted the message of the gospel. There was a process there to understand who has come to believe the true gospel. And then they baptized them, and then they weren't just like left alone. They were added to the church. And notice that they actually kept track. They they even knew how many people had been added to the church. A fun little exercise you could do sometimes is just go through the New Testament and see how often... They list the, the number of people who belong to the church at any given point in time. They kept track. Or you look at Acts, you look in Acts 6, and you notice, wait, they actually kept track of the widows who they were responsible for and those who they were not responsible. They kept track. The church was not ambiguous. It was visible and it was clearly defined. And they had a process to establish the boundary lines of where their authority and responsibility was located and where it was not. Now, if you look at our membership process here at Walnut Creek Church, it boils down to a few specific tools. And again, remember, tools are not the essence, okay? few specific tools we use to help us to walk in that beautiful family of God. One is a membership class. Another is a member interview. And third is a membership covenant now the membership class this is a tool that we use to help us to teach and to protect sound doctrine in the church and also it's a wonderful tool for us to make sure that as we step into this really important really meaningful relationship together we're all on the same page with where we think jesus is leading his church his people The membership class, it's an opportunity for us to get on the same page. You know, a lot of our new members, they don't step in to our church as a blank slate. Most of them have a background in some church somewhere else. In fact, most of our new members have probably come to Christ, perhaps been baptized at some other church. And so a membership class, it's a way for us with people of a really diverse background to get on the same page and to ensure that we are all on the same page as it relates to the most important aspects of following Christ together. With a member interview, this is our opportunity as pastors to step into a really meaningful conversation to ensure that people have actually understood the message of the gospel and that they've been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. See, this is our opportunity, again, to step into a really meaningful conversation so that as we come together in a very meaningful relationship, we're doing it knowing that, yes, indeed, we are, are all on the same page we are all on the same team in the same family through the gospel okay and the last thing we have is a membership covenant and that membership covenant i think is perhaps our most helpful tool as a church just to clearly define what it is that we are coming together in See, in our culture, we have a written culture. And so we write things down. When we want to be really clear with something, what we do is we put it in writing. And then we sign it. And so that membership covenant, it's a way for our relationships, which absolutely need to be defined, to be clearly defined as we come together and bind ourselves together in the gospel as the family of God. And if you want to be a member in our church, These are the tools that we use to clearly define our relationships and to establish that jurisdiction of where our authority and responsibility actually lies and where it does not. And I feel like this is helpful for me to say, and I want to say this in much, much love. But if you are not willing to come into membership in our church through the tools that we use to administer church membership, then you are not a member of our church. And you are not under the authority of our elders. That's a big deal. And I know that our tools have changed some over the last couple of decades. But these are the tools that we are using so that we can walk together well and graciously and beautifully as God's family here. With these specific believers and these specific elders in this specific local church. Okay? And when we think about the church, okay, first of all, if you are not yet a member through these tools, I just want to invite you to pursue membership. I think it is such a good, glorious, wonderful thing. I want to invite you joyfully into the family, okay, to walk together in membership. And when we think about the church, it does not mean that as pastors, we don't care about non-members. We absolutely do. But our authority As pastors, it really is limited. And again, that is good. That is God's grace. Okay? And God has those boundaries in place for our good and for His glory. And those boundaries, they they really do only extend to members, those who are actually members. And here's why this is such a big deal. Remember back to that question I asked you at the very, very beginning. If you are not a member, what are you missing? Know what it is? You are actually missing the family. At least a huge part of the family. That bound togetherness of the family. You are missing the blessing and protection of biblical elders, and you are missing the shared responsibilities. That we walk in as fellow believers, not in everything, but in those particular things that God has specifically for specific believers and specific elders in specific churches. You're missing that, and that's way too wonderful for us to want anyone to miss. Okay? God has established membership for our good and for His glory. Can't avoid membership, and we wouldn't want to when we see it rightly. Now, obviously, if you're visiting us today, (laughs) you're like, hey, uh, I'm not trying to put a ring on it. (laughs) This is just the first date. (laughs) Amen to that. Uh, I'm not trying to convince you that you need to become a member of Walnut Creek. But rather, my hope is this. Genuinely, my, my hope is this. that Just that you would be fully convinced of the beauty of the biblical doctrine church membership and that you would hunger and crave a family through the church okay it's a wonderful thing and so all i want to help us to see is the beauty of church membership and the wonderful thing it is that god has called us into as his family members we get to be members of one another in specific relationships with specific people with specific pastors and anywhere you go any church you go to, that relationship is going to be administered and defined through something, through something, whether by many tools or by few, whether by informal tools or by formal tools, it is going to be defined somehow. Now, what about question number three? Okay, who should be a member? I hope this is obvious by now, but believers should be members of the church. And really only believers, only those who are actually in the family of God by God's grace through faith in Christ should be members of the church. The church is the family of God. And if you are part of God's invisible family by His grace through faith in Christ, well then you should be bound together joyfully with the visible family of God in the church. Now, here's the caveat, okay? And I hope that this ruffles a lot fewer feathers this week than it did last week, but here's the caveat. Uh, If you are not yet baptized, then you should pursue baptism and then pursue membership in the church because church membership really is only for those who are marked visibly into the family of God through baptism, we get marked into the family of God and then pursue membership. We make our relationships with one another in the church clear through membership. And that is a wonderful thing. Now, remember, I told you at the very beginning, I think we need a paradigm shift, okay? And as we close here this morning, I want us to think back again to that family paradigm. And you see, these these doctrines of baptism And communion and membership, these practices of baptism and communion and membership, they are not just three independent, random things that are kind of floating out there for me to personally be built up in my relationship with Jesus. Although they are good for me to be built up in my personal relationship with Jesus, we need to remember, okay, these wonderful truths, these wonderful practices that God has called us into, He calls us into them through the family. We were brought into the family invisibly through Christ at conversion by His grace through faith in Christ. We were visibly brought into the family, marked into the family through baptism. We were nourished, or we are nourished and knit together as a family through communion, that wonderful, glorious family meal of God. And we are bound together joyfully and gloriously in the gospel through church membership. And my prayer is that that paradigm would completely change your life. And that it would completely change the culture of our church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, that you call us joyfully into your family. That you knit us together, God. Not ambiguously, God, but very clearly and specifically with specific people in specific churches. With specific responsibilities to one another. God, what a joyful truth that is. God, I pray that we would see the beauty of that. And that we would know, Lord, we are not just called into following you on an island or in isolation, but rather, God, in your family. And you bind us together, you knit us together through membership. God, help us to walk as a church who carries our real responsibilities to one another soberly and joyfully and wonderfully, God. For our own good and for your glory in the world, God. And we pray it all in Jesus' holy and precious name.